guys, we are continuing on. We are continuing on with our kingdom convictions. Have you guys been enjoying that? Has it been good? I'm particularly excited. I'm pumped about tonight. I think it's going to be really healthy and really wonderful. I think the Lord is going to speak to us tonight. We're going to start off in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. So if you go to Psalms and Proverbs and you take a right, you keep heading that way, you're going to find Ecclesiastes is a short book. And if you get to uh, Song of Solomon, then you went too far. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes, the very last chapter in chapter 12. How was everybody's Halloween? Anyone get stabbed or robbed or nothing like that? Anyone get cavities, candy, like crazy and lots and lots of candy? If, if you're like discount Halloween person, that means what? Today, all the candy's on sale. So just reminding you guys, discount Halloween is tonight. <laughs> so so gotta go grab some candy because it's all going to be on sale. Um, but it, it's kind of interesting tonight. We're talking about a kingdom conviction that we call fear the Lord. So it's a little coincidence that yesterday is Halloween and you're supposed to be all scared. And this kind of this thing, this opera, like and we're talking about fear tonight. Talking about fearing God and how the Bible explains and talks about fearing God. Now, anyone who here is weird like me and you really authentically enjoy scary movies? Anyone? Okay. Few few weirdos like me. I like I like love it. I love scary movies because I I've I've been it mentally placed myself in this position when I'm watching scary movies. I'm like these are people acting in front of a camera. This is so dumb. And I'm the guy that laughs in scary movies. It's like, ah, yes, he gets me, okay? I'm not weird, and she's proven it. So I'm in a theater, and I'm like, ah, I'm like ruining the whole thing and, and stuff like that. So who here are people that are deathly afraid of scary movies? You cannot do it. You cannot watch scary movies. You will not sleep. Because if you watch scary movies and you... And you go to bed, you're going to have dreams that stay with you forever, and it's going to haunt your childhood. Yes, I see you. So it's interesting how it's interesting how fun getting scared can be. Now, obviously, it, it kind of gets your heart pumping, your blood pumping. It, it gets your adrenaline up, this feeling of, of fear. Now, but tonight we're going to talk about something a little different. Now, maybe we've seen a scary movie. I remember, like, I saw The Ring in theaters way back in the day, and that was the last movie that terrified me. I was like, she's going to come out of the screen and eat me. I was <laughs> horrified at this movie. But ever since then, I just kind of, it just, I'd stopped taking them seriously, and it just didn't work anymore. But now, there's things like that, things that pop out and scare you, you know, that frighten you, and you walk around a the corner, then, ah! and then someone <laughs> scares you. And it's quite, it's quite funny if you're the person that did the scaring. But now, don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands here. But what, what about a different kind of fear? What, remember when you were a kid, maybe some of us here were tempted to cheat on a test. Right? And you kind of look over to that question. And then, in the corner of your eye, what do you see? The professor or the teacher see you. And you're like, and you try to, that's natural. Right? What's right? Some of you, maybe. What's happening is you have blood-curdling fear and terror. Right? Because you're terrified to get caught. 
you're like, who? And you, you, you start sweating and your face turns red, right? You just got caught cheating on your chest. And you're like, is the wrath of God going to fall down on me, right? Terrifying. So there is something about that that we're going to get into. Now, um, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes about, this is a very pointed verse. These two verses we're going to read, chapter 12, starting in verse 13. And he talks about fear. Solomon brings this concept up that really, guys, this is a biblical concept that is lost in today's culture. What it means to fear the Lord your God. And tonight we're going to get into it. Is that cool? So in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, in verse 13, Solomon says this. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Anyone scared? Let's pray. Jesus, we call upon your holy and precious name tonight. God, would you teach us and instruct us? We are your humble servants, Lord. We are your students here to listen to your word and to hear from you. Would you speak to all of us in Jesus' name? Everybody in the house said, Amen. Amen. So Solomon in this book, Ecclesiastes, can be a little difficult of a book to preach from, some, from for many people because it's actually Solomon going on a very bitter rant about basically the entirety of the book. He's talking about how everything is meaningless, how wisdom is meaningless, and all these things. And he's basically this super rich guy. He's had all the pleasure he could think of or dream of. He has all the money. He's got all the land and all of the animals and stuff that makes him rich. And he's living this lavish lifestyle. And he's kind of getting this bitterness. He's worshiping kind of these different like idols that these all of the thousands of his wives and stuff are attending him with. He's, this guy's living a pretty gnarly, pretty bad life. And so he's writing this book, and this is wisdom literature in the scriptures. But Ecclesiastes, again, I want to beat this into our heads. When you're reading an Old Testament narrative, you must read it from beginning all the way to the end to understand its proper meaning. That's called reading a narrative. You would not start watching Lord of the Rings starting at the third movie. You're like, Frodo's a jerk. How could you watch this? You've got to watch the whole that gum thing, right? Are you with me? Go with me. So uh, in the same way, Ecclesiastes, you've got to read it from beginning to end. And in the very last chapter here, the very starting from verse 8 on to the end in this chapter, basically the author of this, the storyteller in this book starts to conclude every idea that was attempted to being brought up in this book, right? So at the very end, there's all the, the whole book is all of these things, all these kind of bitter rants and this kind of, and how do you understand it's, it's healthy and it's good to see someone's soul being poured out. Because that's exactly what we experience. You're, you're getting an inside scoop of what's going on in this guy's mind and this guy's life. And at the very end, the author says, of all of these things that have been said, here's the thing that matters. Fear the Lord your God. Fear God. Obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. That verse that we just read is the entire summary of this book of Ecclesiastes. Now... If you don't mind, we're going to get into some theology tonight. We're going to get into some doctrine. Is that okay? It's going to be really, really good. And I think 
that this is going to really help us. So in the scriptures, there's this concept that I call the spectrum of responsibility. This is going to help us when we're trying to understand fearing God. The spectrum of responsibility is basically this line, this spectrum, where on the very, very left, there is basically you've got man's responsibility. So this is a spectrum. And so you can kind of line yourself up in anywhere in this graph of like farthest to the right or farthest to the left based on your theological perspective and your views. So each of these arrows all the way to the right and all the way to the left represent the extreme. Let me tell you something true, guys. If the devil cannot get you to completely abandon God, to become a bitter atheist and say, I don't care about anything. I don't care about eternity. I don't care about souls. If he can't get you to do that, what he will do next is attempt to make you a religious extremist. And that's true. He will get you to be extreme about once. How many times you see this? You could take one scripture and be extreme on it. And then all the rest of the Bible collapses around you. You see that this is to represent that you see on the very, very right extreme. We have God's responsibility. God's responsible for very certain specific things that is portrayed in the scripture. And on the very left here, we have man's responsibility. So the people who like to sit on the far extreme right. Remember, this is extreme. This is this theology is more important than all theologies. It's where people really get messed up with stuff. On the very right, people that are sitting at the extreme God's responsibility side say things like this. They say, God is holy, therefore it does not matter how you or I live. Right? Now that's what we call heresy. (laughs) Okay? God is holy, therefore. Therefore it does not matter how you and I live. That's extreme on this side. Have I lost anyone? We're still good? Now, on the very far left side, you have this man's responsibility is supreme. Man's responsibility is the ultimate thing that matters. And so what people in the very strong far left side of this spectrum say, they say things like this. Holiness is the only way to salvation, which is also heresy. It's also biblically incorrect. You see, if man is completely responsible, essentially man saves himself. And if God is completely responsible, that means man has no choice. You see how these extremes get you in trouble. This is the beauty, guys, of what the Apostle Paul says in this verse in Philippians chapter 2. What the Apostle Paul does is he sticks the church directly in the center of this spectrum. This is where he challenges us to be so that we do... That we are careful never to get too extreme into one area. Are y'all with me? This is crazy and gnarly stuff. The Apostle Paul puts us and how we should think directly in the middle of this of this chart. And this is how he words it with one beautiful sentence. He fuses both of these concepts into one. He says this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Did you catch that? The Apostle Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's man's responsibility. 
right? That's on us to do. We have to work out our salvation. We have to test ourselves to see if we're still in the faith, like the Bible says. Comma, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You see what he's saying is God is totally really the one responsible to save you and to work within you, but you are responsible to live a holy life. Right? That's the beauty that the Apostle Paul gives us in this spectrum. And we're going to say, so what we've, we've just gone over some very good foundational stuff that it's going to help us understand as we continue. In Luke chapter 18, there's a wonderful, wonderful parable that's very short, and we're going to read it. And so when we talk about this, that, he, again, this verse, the word fear appears again. It says, work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. It's this idea and this concept that we're going to get into. So what, what really does he mean by that? How do you work out your salvation with fear? How do you, how do you test yourself to see if you're in the faith with the type of respect and dignity that that thing deserves? Are you all with me? So in Luke chapter 18, there's a parable that perfectly illustrates this point. This is the parable of the Pharisee and the repentant sinner or the tax collector. Luke chapter 18, verse 10. I'm going to read it. It's very short. And this is Jesus. Again, he's speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to his disciples. And he just kind of, Jesus is a great storyteller. Anyone likes to listen to stories? Anyone love? Stories are the best. I love stories. I love telling stories. And I love Jesus specifically because he's such a good storyteller. And he's, just, he's like those guys that if you've got ADD, Jesus is the best friend you're ever going to have. Right? <laughs> Because he will capture your attention by telling a story that grips you and captivates you. Okay? And so Jesus, there's story time with Jesus. Okay? So he's talking to the Pharisees and the disciples. And he says this. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. Such humbleness, right? <laughs> For I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I am certainly not like that tax collector over there sitting in the corner of the room. I fast twice a week, I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me. For I am a sinner. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, not this, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. This sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Guys, this is fascinating because let's, let's dig in a little bit to what's happening here. This religious Pharisee, is coming up to the temple, and there's a picture I've got of these two guys. And I want you to really look at this and think about this. Look at these two images here. Okay, one of these guys is a tax collector, it, figuratively speaking. And then you get this pastor picture of this man praying. You know, he's going to prepare for a message and all this stuff, and he's preaching. And then you got this guy on the right, okay? Now, when you picture a tax collector, you got to really imagine this is kind of like a Wall Street guy. 
who is filthy rich, who's got all this money. This is your typical everyday, like 21st century Wall Street tycoon. He's selling houses to people who can't afford it. He's, he's making investments with people's money, and he doesn't care if it ruins your life. He's talking about all the parties that he goes to, and he's kind of like flashing his bills, right? He's like, look at all this stuff. That's this. You have to understand this parable of this tax collector. That's how people viewed him. He was a thief. He was rich. He had everything. He lived the life, and he basically laughed at everyone else that did. That's the view of this tax collector and that people are seeing when he's going up to the temple. So you can imagine it's like, imagine this guy walking into a church, right? What would you do? Would you be tempted to be like, sir, you don't belong there, right? In many cases and many times today, that is our reaction. You see a sinner walk into somewhere, you're like, wait, you don't, your life doesn't look like it ought to to enter that place. Jesus is going to teach a very important lesson about that, isn't he? <laughs> and then you've got the Pharisee. Now, this guy in this left picture, he doesn't look so bad, does he? <laughs> right? He's reading his Bible. He's praying. And look how he perfectly is holding it in view of the camera so he focuses right on the Bible you know, so he can read it well. Right? But this is what G Jesus, guys, he says something so fascinating. He says something that is just completely, no one ever would have guessed it. No one ever would have thought about it. No one would have suspected it. But Jesus says, look at these men here, guys. This tax collector walked home from the temple justified before God and the Pharisee did not. You see how dangerous this is? Because the outward appearance that we portray, the outward appearance that people have in their lives save far different things from what's going on underneath. Guys, you can hide yourself incredibly and hide what actually is going on in your life if you don't communicate it to a brother or sister. You can hide it so deep that even you will forget about it. But what's going on in these guys' hearts? This next picture, I think, illustrates it perfectly. You have this picture, this idea, this Pharisee on the left side. He is pointing his, his chest, his face towards God in pride. And he's saying, I thank you, God, that I am not like this tax collector, this sinner here. And that Wall Street guy that everyone hates because he's taking all your money and he's spoiling it, he's got a terrible attitude and prideful he's over here on the left and what's happening in his heart is he's beating his chest in shame in conviction over his sin he's beating his chest as a sign of woe is me i am a man who is unclean i am evil i have sin oh god have mercy on me he says because guys jesus will always look at your heart versus how you look on the outside Jesus is communicating to us that intent is prior to content. What is going on in your heart is everything. Absolutely everything. What's going on on the outside is oftentimes trivial. This Pharisee has this idea, and I want you to think about this. The Pharisee comes in and says, God, I thank you that I'm not like this person. Look at all of the laws that I follow. Look at all the rules I follow. What he's essentially saying is, I really don't need forgiveness. I'm just here because I'm checking another box on my life that makes me look spiritual, that makes me feel less guilty. 
He's checking that box. And he's saying, this is all, I'm, I'm doing this. And I really, at the end of the day, his hope is still in himself. He has no need of forgiveness because he lives a good enough life already. Right? But this tax collector comes in. He comes in that door with an overwhelming desire and need for forgiveness. You see the picture we're painting here. This tax collector needed forgiveness because he knew he was a sinner. And the Pharisee didn't really feel like he needed it because his life had portrayed something good enough. Guys, what we are talking about is in theology, we call this the doctrine of justification. The doctrine of justification. In Romans chapter 3, 28, summarizes this this way. It says, so we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. The Apostle Paul is saying that we get right with God by faith, not by works, not by good behavior, not by looking good. We get justified before God by faith in Christ. Now, let's continue and talk about this. It, this is a, a very good question. Just remember that verse we read, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, okay? Now, what that means is we got to ask this question what does it really mean to be saved? Now, this can be a scary question because the more and more you think about it, you're like, and you kind of, your mind wanders off in crazy places. You're like, oh God, am I saved? You, know, you start to really freak out. Now, again, I want you to remember that fear there. There's that fear and trembling that the Bible says is good for you, okay? And so there's there are... There, I'm going to put this as plainly and simply as we possibly can. What does it mean to be saved? Well, there's two steps. Two extremely simple steps to know if you truly are saved. There's, it's wonderful because you can know. You can know now whether you are right with God or not. Two easy steps. The first one is conviction of sin. In order to be saved, you must begin here and nowhere else. You must begin with a conviction over your sin. The Bible says that all people have fallen short of the glory of God. All people. Every person is of sin and has sin. And so the first step is this conviction of sin. And it says, for the wages of sin is death in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. God, we have to understand that God is not obligated to save any of us. God is not obligated because of anything we've done, any way we've acted, any good deed that we've done. God in his holiness and his righteousness and his perfection is not obligated to save anyone. He did it because of something about his nature, something about his character that's pivotal for us to understand. And so people... That good into this step, number one, this conviction of sin, that's that repentant sinner that says, God, have mercy on me. Step two is very simple. Once you are convicted of sin, step two is you have to put your faith and your trust in Christ. So, guys, think about this. Think about the Pharisee and think about this tax collector. Many, many people today believe they are right with God and they have accomplished step number two, but really what's happened is that they've skipped step number one. They skip conviction of sin and they move to step number two and they desperately try to get right with God by works and behaviors. 
Guys, you cannot skip step one. What did the Pharisee do? He skipped step one completely. And he says, I thank you, them. And he's trusting in his own actions. He's trusting in his own holiness, his own righteousness. And as the Apostle Paul repeats all over the New Testament, all over his, his writings and his letters, is that if any time you are doing this out of works, what it ends up happening is that you end up boasting about your works. And there's pride at the end of the day anyways. You cannot skip step one. What happens here is when you hear people say things like this, guys, and I know many of us sometimes we get spiritually depressed. Believe me, I do too. We kind of get down in the dumps. We don't feel maybe the Holy Spirit near us. There's many times there are certain reasons for that. Sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes it's just things in your life happen that are horrible, right? But what happens when a person says a phrase like this, you know, I don't really think I'm good enough to be a Christian. I don't really think I'm the right person. You see what's happened is they've immediately made it about their deeds and their works. And it's not a matter of faith. What they're saying is I don't really need forgive, forgiveness. I don't need these things. Saying I'm not good enough for this completely removes the burden off of Christ when he came for and it puts that burden on yourself. Which is sin. Are y'all with me? Step two, faith in Christ. You cannot skip step one. And the difference is absolutely true. Is that you can't say that, man, I, if I just, I, I'm a Christian. I believe in these things. I believe that Jesus was risen from the dead. But I can't just seem to live and do these things properly. Again, with that statement, we might have all wondered that. We might have all, all completely have felt guilty about things we've done, and absolutely, that's true. But when we make, and what the devil will always try to remind you is how you're lacking and you're failing in your deeds when really it's the heart that's the issue. It's the heart that is the crooked thing. It's the heart that has to get resolved. Because the moment, pay very close attention to me, the moment you say, I'm just not good enough, the moment you say, I, um, I just like, I'm not cut out for this, is the moment you step into trusting your works and trusting yourself. What did this tax collector do, guys? He started off in step one. He was absolutely horrified and convicted of his sin, and he had this epiphany. He said, you know what? I'm so bad, I cannot save myself. I absolutely cannot save myself. All of my tricks, all of my behaviors, all of my efforts are no good. The one last thing I have is Christ. And he walks into that temple, and guess what? Because he needs Jesus. He needs him. Because of his lostness, because of his conviction of sin, he needs desperately a savior to get him out of this mess. And you, I want you to pay very close attention to that difference. Step, if you skip step one and move to step two, you don't need God. You just kind of want him to help you. You want him to be added to your life. You want him to help you through your day to day. You want him to, to organize things. You want him to remove circumstances. That, guys, I'm going to say this carefully and gently. That attitude means you're actually not saved. Because we're trusting ourselves, We're trusting our efforts. The beauty of the gospel, guys, 
is that we, after this horrible conviction of sin, it's embarrassing, it's humiliating, that first step, you feel awful about yourself. But the beauty, the majesty about what Christ has done is that you step in the presence of God and say, I absolutely need Christ. And Jesus literally takes care of your sin for you. But it does not exist unless there's conviction of sin. The sin must be removed first. And then Jesus takes over the rest. Are you all with me? It's an easy test to test yourself where you are within the faith and where you are if you're saved or not by this simple question. Do I feel I absolutely need Christ? That's the question. Do I feel that I absolutely need Jesus or I'm doomed? Because one, one answer goes one way and the other answer goes the other way. When we say, I believe Christ, I follow him, look, I believe he's risen from the dead. He really helps me in my life again. Even though it's true that Jesus helps you in your life, even though that's not a false statement, the motive is what's getting twisted. Jesus is just there to help you, not there to rescue you. Are you with me? That's the steps of conversion of those two simple things. In Malachi 1.6, the Bible says this, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, God says, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? God is asking, where is my fear? If you believe that I'm the all-powerful God that can destroy both your body and your soul, where is my fear? You kind of see the tone there. That fear is really a key ingredient that if we miss step one, we, miss, we lose fear. We lose all of the respect and honor that is due him because by nature of virtue of his intrinsic value. Where do we place our fear, guys? When we say things like this, I pay very close attention to this. A lot of times we try to, we try to shirk responsibility. And believe me, this, I, run it, I do this all the time. <laughs> I totally understand this. We all do this. We try to blame shift when things go wrong. Now, so whenever we say things like this, the devil made me do this. Right? Y'all hear? Y'all follow? When the devil makes me do this, what really you have said is that you actually fear the devil more than God. When you say things like that, I have no choice in the matter the devil kind of came in and, and against my will and against my control. What that means is there's a declaration of the heart that you fear the devil more than you fear God. Because what you fear, that's the thing you submit to. The thing that you fear, that's the thing that you will love. If you fear man, you will serve man. If you fear man, you will love man over everything. But if you fear God, you're going to love God. Because there's that honor, that respect, that fear that is due him. Because by nature of who he is. Think of it this way. Imagine falling in love. Some of you might be closer to that than others. Some of you might be a long time coming. That's totally fine. I did not get married until I was 26 26 years old and it's awesome <laughs> it was 26 years was miserable but it's awesome everything's good no, I'm, just I'm just playing I'm just playing yeah. so 
let me ask you this scary question. Is there fear involved in a healthy marriage or a healthy relationship with the guy or girl? Is there fear involved? Okay, I'm getting some mixed answers, okay? Some yeses and some noes. Now, what I don't mean is that a married couple should not be afraid of one another. They're not afraid to hang out. If, if you're married for three years and you still, like, don't know how to talk to girls, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> you, you need to learn that in the dating as much best you can. I mean, you know, men are awkward, so you can't blame them, right? So, uh, you're not afraid of each other, but is there a fear involved in the relationship? Do you guys ever fear losing something you care about deeply? So, let's say someone walks into the room and they're that guy or that girl's tempting a married person. That married person is like, the temptation is there. Sin is not there yet, but the temptation is there. And it's like, I want you to come with me and do what will fulfill all of our passions and our lust and our desires. And then that person, so what, and if you're thinking like, like about how much I love my wife, it's, there's... In that moment of denying temptation, in that moment of saying no to the devil, you don't say no to temptation because I have a duty as a husband to my wife. You say no to the devil because of the terror and the fear of losing a person you love. Because there's fear. There's that fear there. And you see you have a relationship with no fear, Man, you get into some trouble. If you don't have that fear that you're going to actually hurt people by the decisions you make. If you miss that fear, you've actually thrown love into the trash can. You have to have fear. You have to have fear for there to be respect. And so take that example. It's not because you're afraid of each other, but you say no to that temptation. You say no to that desire because... I am afraid to spoil and to violate the relationship that I cherish. And you know what, guys? With God, it's the exact same way. You say no to temptation, not because it's your duty, not because necessarily it's this impersonal thing. You say, I fear the Lord my God, and I dare not violate my relationship with Him. So you say no to that thing. Are y'all with me? Do you see where fear comes in? It's actually a protection for your relationship. A fear of God is this thing that leads you to the right place to where you actually have right relationship. You see, when you fear God, you go to step one first. Because there's that conviction of sin. You're saying, I'm going to be destroyed. I could be going to hell right now. God, I need you to save me. That is step proper step number one. And then and only then you can beautifully and wonderfully arise and come out of your shell and become the beautiful person God has made you to be by walking into step two with faith in Jesus Christ, who is the propitiation of your sin. So this verse right here, I'm going to quote this very, very good, and then we're going to move to close. First John chapter two, verse two says, he is the anointing sacrifice, talking about Jesus. He is the anointing sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also the sins of the world. King James and ESV uses the word 
propitiation, that Jesus is the propitiation of our sins. Guys, you know what that means? That means that once you are convicted of sin and you ask Jesus to save you because you need him desperately, the propitiation of your sins means that Jesus has now been made responsible over your sin. Jesus is now responsible and no longer you because you've been convicted. Didn't Pastor Rick say it so good last week when he said when you ask God to forgive you of your sins, when you have that conviction and you repent of your sins, the blood of Jesus demands you be clean. And before all eternity and before the great judge in heaven, that blood of Jesus demands your innocence. But we can't get there without a conviction of sin. Guys, what am I saying tonight? I'm saying that you do not fear God because he's this distant, unknowable being. You actually fear God because he's close. You do not fear God because he's distant and unknowable. You fear God because he's close. He's in your face. He's right here before you, beckoning you. Sinner, I love you. Come to me and cast all of yourself and your personality onto my shoulders and I will carry it for you. Come to me, all you who are weary. You do not fear God because he's distant. You fear him because he's close to you. He's right up in your face. He's right there in front of you. We don't fear God because he's far away and we don't know what God will do. We fear God because he's personal and we do know what he's going to do. He's made it abundantly clear. Those people who are in sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's terrifying. That terrifies me. When I hear that, I think about all my friends that need Jesus. You know why? Because fear. When I think about that, I think about the way I'm living and how I should be acting. Do you know why? Because there's a fear. Do you all see what I'm saying? Not because God is so far away, but because he's so close, guys. God is right here asking in an invitation for you to approach him with the proper attitude. If you try to skip step one and move in faith in Jesus, you could be a street preacher. You could be the boldest, most wonderful preacher on the planet. But if you skip step one, you're still lost because you have no fear. You don't fear God. Are you all with me? You cannot skip step one. What am I saying, guys? This is my, this is my point for tonight. We don't fear him because he's distant. We fear him because he's close. We fear the, fear the Lord is not just an emotion you feel to force you into submission. Fearing God is not simply an emotion that you feel to force you into submission. Fearing God is, in fact, a prerequisite to love. In order to love, you must fear. In order to love, you must fear. Guys... I want to ask you a question tonight. How badly do we need Jesus? How badly do you need him? Because that's the question of all questions. That's the question of eternity. How badly do you need Christ? Fear is a prerequisite to love. Guys, if we don't have fear, if we don't have the fear of God, then we will never be in the proper posture to love him back. Because we're not afraid of violation. 
We're not afraid to go wrong. We're not afraid to hurt his feelings. And we chalk up all this stuff to this religious jargon and these religious things to say, well, God's just going to forgive me. Right. And that's deadly. And that's dangerous. Because what you're proving is that really you skip step one and you're on to step two without it. We have got to love God with a healthy fear. Let me ask you this question tonight. Do you need Jesus to rescue you? Or do you just kind of want him to help you? Do you need Jesus to rescue you? Do you need him to save you? Or do you just want to tag him along to your life and add him to this other ritual because it kind of makes you a better person? Is Jesus more than that to you? Guys, if there is a currency in heaven, I believe this is it. You know, I love... What I love about being a guy is that we can like wrestle, we can get in fights, and and then we're smiling and hugging each other right after it, right? It's awesome. So sweet, so cool, so fun. And also we get to kind of compete a little bit. Like, how far can you throw or how far how fast can you run? You play sports together. It's actually beautiful. But did you know what's beautiful about God is He He doesn't remove competition. And say competition is sin. He actually says there's a right way to compete. Because you know the Bible talks a lot about the proper way to boast. What does it say? If you're going to boast about anything. You boast in God. You boast in the Lord. Guys, this is the currency of heaven. You know what makes Brian, what would make him spiritually a lot higher than me? Pay close attention. It's because his need for Jesus would be greater than mine. That's what makes him higher. The need for Jesus. You know what? You want to be the best Christian in Jesus' army of all time? You need to need Jesus more. Are y'all with me? You need to need him. The greatest believer in all of earth walking right now is the believer that needs Jesus more than everybody. How badly do we need him? How badly do we need Jesus? The hymn writer summarizes this the best. Many of you have sung this song in church, and it's going to ring a bell. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust my sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's stand tonight.